Hello and welcome to another edition of the China in Africa podcast. I'm Eric Olander. And as always, I'm joined by Kobus van Staden of Witts University in Johannesburg, South Africa. A very good afternoon to you, Kobus. Good afternoon. Kobus, you know, you and I have been covering the China-Africa story for going on eight years now. And over the, over that time, when you, when you kind of spend as much time as we have immersed in the story, the kind of, you know, the pillaging of African animals by Chinese, you know, consumers is, is one that does get a little bit old. Let's talk about sharks off the coast of Mozambique. There's pangolin, there's lions, there's tigers, there's, you know, of course, elephant and rhino. And so it came as a little bit of a surprise about six months ago when we saw that donkeys now were becoming the latest animal that was being devoured in ever larger numbers by Chinese consumers for what else? Chinese traditional medicine. And I have to be honest with you that when the story first broke, I, I kind of snickered a little bit because I'm like, donkeys? I mean, really? Donkeys? But now, six months later, uh, it's turned into a huge issue. I mean, this is, a, this is a story actually that's not even just an African story. The demand for, China, for donkeys coming from China uh, or Chinese demand for donkeys is actually a global story. I mean, they're sourcing them from Colombia, from Pakistan, and of course, in Africa. We're, I'm counting right now at least five countries, South Africa, Burkina Faso, Tanzania, Egypt, Kenya, and there's probably many more that have been affected by this. And it's particularly acute in Africa because the countries that are exporting donkeys to China are particularly dependent on their agrarian sector. So this has a, an acute impact on rural farmers. And so when the price of donkeys is surges, uh, it really has an immediate impact that threatens the livelihoods of rural farmers uh, in particularly poor countries like Burkina Faso, Egypt, I mean, throughout the continent. And so this has now become a full-blown issue and a crisis bordering on kind of very scary for a lot of people throughout the continent. And we're going to get into the details of why people want the, uh, you know, are, they want the donkeys. What are they doing with them? But Kobus, it, what's so surprising to me is how this animal has registered, much like elephants have, an emotional kind of, you know, raw nerve, particularly with Westerners on the outside. Because when we posted this on Twitter and on Facebook, the reaction was powerful and it was immediate. Yes, I think there's a lot of concern in South Africa, especially around uh, cruel slaughtering practices, um, and there's there's some some scandalous stories have blown up about particularly horrible ways that that some of these donkeys have been slaughtered. But I think it's a there's a wider issue um, where there's just people are just generally worried about the environment, and then they're also worried about China, and frequently those two overlap in these kind of narratives of China destroying the environment in some new unknown way. Yeah, it's this exasperation that I think people have of like yet another animal. This is really, you know, it's it's tiring. But uh, but again, let's go, let's follow, let's pick up the story. And I have to admit, Kobus, you and I are a little bit late to the story and I regret that. This is something we should have done a few months ago. Uh, one correspondent who actually has been on top of it, uh, and she's a regular to the show, Lily Guo is the Nairobi-based correspondent for the online financial news site Quartz, uh, and she has actually written a couple stories on this issue. Uh, welcome back to the program, and thank you for joining us from Nairobi. A very good afternoon to you, Lily. Good afternoon. Okay, Lily, you just published uh, a couple weeks ago, the donkeys Kenyan families need to survive are heading to China for medicine promising longer life. Give us an overview of what, what are the Chinese actually doing with the donkeys? Why are they now suddenly in, in such demand that it's really become a crisis in places like Kenya. Right. 
so the headline um, the headline for that piece is kind of interesting because me and the editor were talking about um, something to highlight in the story, which is the point that you made that the donkey that these donkeys are used um, for fa- families, agrarian families, households, farmers to um, transport everything, transport their goods, their water. Um, you know, it's just a it's a v- important part of how they live. Um, but then they're used in China for medicine that maybe will extend their life. So it's traditional Chinese medicine. Um, it's the gelatin in the donkey hide that is used in this medicine. So it will either be, it's called a gel and it will either be a tonic or a pill. Um, I think maybe you can also have it as a powder. I've never personally tried it. Um, so I think just that contrast that it's, it's something that people, that families essentially need in African countries like Kenya, um, that middle-class consumers and the wealthy in China are using because it might, um, you know, pro, might delay menopause or improve their libido or, you know, improve blood circulation. So, Lily, one of one of the key things of the story that have been that has been baffling me from the beginning is why aren't more African countries jumping wholesale into into farming donkeys for this trade? I know that Namibia has has mentioned the possibilities of doing that, but like, why aren't all of these African countries not just simply farming donkeys? Yeah, I think that's a good um, that is a good question, and so that's why I was interested in this. Um, donkey abattoir that started in Kenya that um, it started by two Chinese entrepreneurs it started last year and so they're really just getting ramped up now Um, and so this is a government sanctioned one it's regulated the government says that they you know they ensure that the animals are treated fine and you know that local supply is fine Um, and also Ethiopia has two large uh, donkey slaughterhouses. I'm not sure if they're also breeding the donkeys there. The one in Kenya, they say that they're breeding them. And I think they're also, they source them from other, um, from other countries and elsewhere in Kenya. So maybe going forward, that will happen. But it seems like right now, a lot of, yeah, a lot of it is um, this sort of illegal trade and small scale trade where people will steal people's donkeys and so let's talk about Ejiao. So this is a Chinese herbal medicine or traditional medicine. They use the skins. It's, you know, once again, uh, tied to libido, you know, everything seems to come back to libido. I mean, I, it's just one of the typical things, but that drives demand, um, disease, lots of different things, blood circulation. When you are in, when you, you know, you reported from Hong Kong for a long time, you've spent time in China. When Chinese consumers are buying these products in your experience, do you get a sense that they have any awareness of where they come from or the price that's being paid to, uh, on the part of wildlife and the environment and animals, to support these uh, these products, I think they people might have an abstract idea of it, but if everybody around you uses this medicine and advises it and tells you that Western medicine is uh, you know too heavy in chemicals and drugs, then you know then you think that that's just that's just how it should be. I mean, my family my family doesn't use a lot of traditional Chinese medicine, but I was home recently and I found these boxes of. Um, uh, tiger, tiger tusks. And, um, and I just remember growing up like things that my mom would give me. And I, I mean, I mean, I never thought about it. But I do think that that can change, though. I mean, the you brought up the um, shark fin issue. And, and that, you know, that has been a long campaign to get consumers to think about the sharks um, in the process of finning and how they're, you know, they cut off the fin and then throw the shark back in and they're dead. Um, but that has changed consumer mentality. So and I don't know, I mean, I don't know so much about um, about ivory. That seems to be slower, and I don't know why that is different. But um, 
So I, I think that it's not set in stone, these kind of consumer attitudes, but it is informed by what everybody else is doing. And I mean, you know, it's, actually, it's no different from Western people because do Western people know where their vitamins come from? You right. know, it's like, like what, how, how does one actually produce vitamins? I have no idea. And I have no idea what, what, you know, kind of what the origin is of the different elements of a multivitamin capsule. So, you know, it's, it, it seems to me to kind of roughly the same situation as a kind of like hyper consumerist society with lots of products coming in. Who knows where they all come from? Yeah, much less your clothes, the the cell phones we use with the tantalum that comes from the, the, the mines in the DRC, oftentimes that have children mining it. I mean, so, you know, for me, when I see, in, and this is oftentimes a white thing, um, you know, white environmentalists get on Facebook very, very fast. And, it's, and, and again, this is what surprised me a little bit to the reaction to your story, Lily. And I don't know if you got the same reaction over at Quartz, but when we posted your story on our Facebook page and I tweeted it, the the Twitter reaction was instant. I mean, it was really remarkable how and and just the the toxicity of the comments, like the effing Chinese are doing this again. And, you know, when are they going to stop? And they're blaming the consumer and there's just anger over the Chinese that they continually do this. And the problem with the Chinese is that whatever the Chinese do as consumers, because there's 1.4 billion of them, it has an immediate massive impact so on everything and whether it is on animals or whether it's on minerals or whether whatever it is um, but i'm wondering what kind of reaction did you get to the story because our reaction was was very very toxic on this particular issue it, it is interesting the sort of emotive reaction to it and it's a it's in the same way i also was sort of taken by surprise by by the story because um, there are various sort of ridiculous China-Africa stories, um, and I initially thought that this was going to be a kind of one-off, um, you know, but now there are five, there are four African countries that have now banned donkey hides, and now the, um, now animal activists and advocates are getting on board. So um, a report that I cited extensively in the story by the Donkey Sanctuary in the UK, a nonprofit, they released a report last month pretty all about the global donkey hide trade. So, so I think China really China China's consumption of donkey hides is really going to become part of this the environmental and conservation debate in Africa. Lily, the objections that are being raised by animal rights activists um, like donkey donkey sanctuary are they mostly looking at the the economy the donkey economy as it looks at the moment, or are they also objecting against the possible idea of farming donkeys as well? So I don't. I haven't seen anything about in the objections about farming donkeys. It seems to be what they oppose is the illegal trade, and I think that is one because the numbers that they have, um, they think that there is a shortage of donkeys. So the number of donkeys that the number of donkey hides that are traded every year, they estimate. So the the nonprofit Donkey Sanctuary in the UK estimates is around 1.8 million a year, but that could be much higher. Um, and I think the demand is some, somewhere around four million. And that report also cites the cost of a donkey in Burkina Faso, which is one of the countries that banned exports of donkey hides. So that went from about seventy dollars in twenty fourteen to one hundred and thirty dollars in twenty sixteen. So it's a big increase for an agrarian family that you know needs this donkey to survive to move things around for them. Um, so that is what they object. That's probably the first objection is how it affects these families. And then I think the second is on um, 
the grounds of how the animals are actually treated. So since a lot of this, a lot of these donkeys are being stolen and kill um, and slaughtered in what they call uh, bush killings, the it's not it's not regulated. It's not there's no kind of rules for how how to actually kill the donkey. So um, I if, have to say, yeah. So sorry to interrupt you. I have to say this story bums me out um, on two different levels. One is that I really like donkeys and I just find them lovely to look at but also that it just pushes everyone back into their oldest the oldest roles you know so Africa is again you know the victim and the acted upon like Europeans are again outraged and concerned and and Chinese are again unknowable and bizarre you know um, it's it's just it, like it, it pushes everyone back into their weird 19th century stereotypes um, and that that kind of also bums me out it's like it's impossible to kind of to overcome these narratives that, that you know each is back in their most their most kind of uh, their most set narrative yeah and there's also something about the fact that the donkey hides that part of it that they're actually being consumed by the Chinese that I think kind of adds to this sort of like Chinese monster coming in and just eating up all of Africa's resources. Exactly. The poor pangolins, because, you know, nobody seems to care as much about the pangolin, that cute little animal, but it doesn't kind of register it at all in the same way. You know, it's funny because, Lily, we we had this brief moment from January to about maybe mid-February, March, where, you know, the announcement came down from Beijing that they were going to finally ban the trade of ivory, the Chinese rode the PR press on that a lot. You know, all of a sudden, China is really advocating for, you know, African wildlife. You know, this also coincided a little bit with the rise of Donald Trump and his pulling back from uh, global climate change talks and China taking a, a more prominent role in environmental leadership around the world. And so all of a sudden, there was this honeymoon that kind of came in the first quarter of this year. Uh, and now, we're, as, as Koba said, we're right back into our old familiar roles. Well, it does. It does seem like these stories they elicit so much response, so that people keep following them and keep writing about them. Um, and so that was my initial response. So, as I was saying before, that I was a little bit surprised by how this story continued because I thought it was a, a one-off sort of um, scary China and Africa story. But the fact that there are now four African countries that have banned donkey hides and the reports of donkeys being um, stolen and slaughtered keep coming, then it, it does actually seem like it's going to be another conservation issue. Probably not probably not on the same level that poaching is, but you know, one of those. So Cobus, the interesting part of the story that that I'm kind of curious about and to get your reaction was how quickly uh, Burkina Faso and I think Niger and and, and two other countries came to ban the, the the trade right away. Very, very fast. And, and that comes back to this governance issue in Africa. And in the rhino and the, the ivory issue, one of the big problems that we had was corruption, uh, the lack of governance, the lack of enforcement of existing laws, and, and the governments, the African government's inability or unwillingness to do anything. But yet with the donkey issue, uh, we saw them take very, very quick action, which these are not governments known to be very responsive to public demand and public opinion. 
Yeah, this was interesting for me as well, and I can't 100% understand it. Um, I, I'm guessing it might have to do with the power of the the of rural populations, um, maybe. But you know, again, like you know, in, in other in other cases, rural populations in Africa have very little power. So, so I'm, I'm I was also struck by that and somewhat mystified by it. I'm not sure exactly like what made the the gears turn so quickly. Lily, what what do you think? Yeah, it also seems unlikely to me that that the government would move so quickly to protect something that is important for the pretty much the poorest um i mean you know governments i mean african government i mean kenya should do kenya tends to me they should do a lot to protect um rhinos and elephants because that's such a critical part of the tourism industry and yet that doesn't happen hasn't happened as quickly as it should um so yeah i really i really don't know what's behind it the the story is um, I did see that Vitz, I did see that there are some reporting grants going around to, for people to look into this. Um, so I'm interested to see people actually investigating it and researching it. Yeah, there's no doubt that this is, yeah, this is going to be a big story. You know, in, in Cobus in South Africa, one of the angles of the story that came out pretty quickly, and I was watching SABC and reading uh, Times Live, was the hint that maybe there are criminal syndicates that are involved in this. And that wouldn't be surprising because anytime you're exporting uh, pretty much any raw material to from China to from Africa to China, uh, the presence of organized crime is is ten tends to be there. So what have you heard about uh, potential syndicates operating in this space? You know, right now police authorities in in South Africa are saying they're not seeing any evidence of that, but the media seems to be raising the specter that organized crime may have, uh, you know, a, a hand in this. I have seen roughly the same kind of narrative as you. Like I've 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 seen suggestions, but no no official confirmations. Um, I would not be surprised if that hap is if that is happening simply because I think the the smuggling. Um, infrastructure is already set up you know so that was something that we discussed when we you know in the past talking about about ivory is you know e either these uh, syndicates are going to find new markets for ivory or they're going to find something new to smuggle and we know that some of these syndicates are already involved in drug smuggling or weapon smuggling as well so it's not a surprise to me you know kind of like it like a hiding kind of wildlife products you know kind of in shipments to china that is what these people do so, you know, so again, I, I wouldn't be surprised if, if syndicates are involved. So in addition to uh, governments making, you know, banning the trade, uh, also online trading websites are getting into it. The, the, the online sales site Gumtree uh, said that it had banned advertisements for donkeys in South Africa. Uh, so we're seeing a very fast response here. And I'm wondering, Lily, if you think that the response we're seeing both from environmentalists in the West uh, it seems online people are getting engaged, governments are getting into it, is because people have been well-trained after the the ivory issue that's gone on for so many years. Yeah, that's a good question. So people are, um, yeah, that could be the case that they're good up for it. Also, I read that in Egypt and Tanzania, communities are like sort of doing like donkey security training to protect their donkeys at night when a lot of these, these um, thefts happen. So it does seem like people are have reacted quickly. It's such so a we are weird mix of like 21st century and you know kind of ancient technologies together. It's really fascinating. But one thing but that I just, yeah. one thing I'm curious about. Is, so when you were talking about the 
um, the response on your Facebook when you tweeted the story and on the Facebook page. I mean, the people that are weighing in on this, they're not people that have donkeys. <laughs> no, and, they're they're white liberals in the West who sit comfortably right. in in, a, in in suburban London and suburban Virginia. And I, I mean, I personally, ha- I mean, I had seen donkey sanctuaries in Kenya, but I had never thought about donkey welfare issues before. Um, and so, yeah, I was fascinated to see that response. And I'm also curious what, you know, for a family in Kenya, in rural Kenya, if 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 I'm going to offer them $200 for their donkey, you know, I wonder what they would say and how, you know, what they could do with that money. Oh, yeah. I know what they would say. You know exactly what they would say. They'd be like, do you want a bag with that? <laughs> you know, I mean, they would absolutely – I mean, because, you know – you know, it's it's a difficult choice for people because you know two hundred dollars today is you know is something different than making money down the road. Um, but it is one of these issues. And I wonder if the reaction in the West is because people can relate to donkeys. You know, we, we go to petting zoos in the West and you see them. This is an animal that we've you know we grew up with. You know, pin the tail on the donkey is a child's you know game that we that we all played when we were kids in the United States. So there's actually a connection to this animal, whereas a pangolin. Um, you know, even, uh, you know, lions and whatnot, people don't have the same connection with. Uh, That might be why it's so emotive. But it is a mystery to me why this particular issue, you know, touched such a raw nerve online. And it doesn't strike me as that this is going away anytime soon. So you on the China Africa beat there in Nairobi uh, will probably have a few more assignments to cover the the Africa China trade and donkeys coming up very soon, I imagine. Right. I guess it's also like the dog eating festival responses to that every year. Yeah, and that seems to be fading in China. I mean, there's going to—I think people can foresee a day now in Yunnan province every year they have a dog eating festival, and the number of Chinese protesters, and particularly the pressure on social media in China, uh, has come down to bear on this on this festival. And it's coming up right now again, so we're starting to see the pictures emerge on social media. It's horrifying. I mean, it is absolutely sick, disgusting, and horrifying in this day and age that we're still doing this. And what's interesting is that the fight is being led by young Chinese, a new generation of Chinese online who are saying this is unacceptable. And I think in some ways that the tone of Western environmentalists, um, which is, you know, just filled with bile towards the Chinese, to me, just never, never works. Kobus, you and I have talked about this for years, that if you accuse people of being barbarians, their natural reaction is not to kind of go, really? Huh, let's talk about that. And I think that's why I, I don't see the reaction from so many Western environmentalists who who use this very strong language as being any productive. Maybe that's just Facebook talk that people like to do, though. Yeah, I think so. You know, I, I think there's a, there's a lot of um, of race issues that, that start playing into, into these debates. You know, there's a lot of racism that, that, that is kind of hidden under animal welfare talk frequently. Um, you know, I, I'm sensitive to it because I've researched it and I've, I've you know, I'm, I'm busy with research projects on that particular issue. But it's, you know, there, there is frequently ways in which, you know, in, in the kind of heat of the animal welfare discussion, you know, a lot of other kind of, kind of issues kind of get smuggled in. Um, and I think frequently kind of white environmentalists can be very, very tone deaf to, to the way that they, that they talk to and about other people. So Lily, let's just wrap this up. The crux of the problem is that China's donkey population has fallen from 11 million to about 6 million. The market for donkeys in China is about 4 million. The trade is about 1.8 million between Africa and China. So what all those numbers add up to if this is my reading of those numbers, and they may not be entirely accurate, but those are estimates, is that there's a shortage of donkeys in China, and in part because of Chinese urbanization, 
Uh, there's just less farmland now to raise donkeys and and wild and animals like that. So the demand is going to still be there. Um, where does this story go from here? So in China, there are some companies that want to start farming donkeys. I think that they are maybe applying for government approvals or they want subsidies. Um, in Kenya, the abattoir that I mentioned in the story, you know, that's government sanctioned. And I don't know if I mentioned this already, but there's two in Ethiopia. And I think we can't, and Kobus made the point earlier that, you know, why aren't these, why aren't African countries getting into this business? Um, I think we are going to start to see more investment in this. Um, and then with the pressure from environmentalists and from people and also the pressure that, you know, just that image that China gets from this trade, um, I think will also change how this industry goes. Lily Guo is the Quartz correspondent based in Nairobi who covers a lot of African issues, but also one of the only dedicated, in fact, maybe I think you are the only dedicated China-Africa correspondent who's on the continent. Um, it, uh, it just, you know, does some amazing reporting on QZ.com. She did an article a couple, about, about two or three weeks ago in, in March on the donkeys Kenyan families need to survive are heading to China for medicine, promising longer life. She's also done some other reporting on the donkey trade between Africa and China. Uh, Lily, thank you so much for joining us. We appreciate your time. Thanks so much. Kobus, let me just get your final take on this story because, um, you know, I you know, I don't believe that any change will happen in any wildlife issue between China and Africa unless there is domestic political movement on the mainland in China. This is what we saw. That was the that was the turning point with the ivory issue. It was not because white people in London or even Africans themselves or, you know, the Chinese do not shame internationally. I mean, that is the big mistake that people uh, make when they try to, to bully China on these issues. And I'm not saying that to defend China, but, you know, the Chinese have very thick skins when it comes to foreign criticism on human rights, the Dalai Lama, Tibet, Taiwan. Now it's, you know, Korea policy, whether it's Donald Trump going after them. So external shaming will not work. The only thing that I think works is domestic. And so just as we saw with Ivory, where there was a cultural shift on the part of young people in particular, you know, this generation that got onto Chinese social media, onto Weibo, onto WeChat, and started putting pressure to saying enough. And that's what's happening with the dog festival. And I think that's what also has to happen with now donkey meat. Yeah, we'll we'll see. I mean, you know, from, from an African perspective, it, it seems to me that that African governments are still kind of checking out how they might respond to it. Um, and I think there are people in Africa, some with Chinese uh, encouragement or investment, who might actually would want to uh, pursue this as a commercial opportunity, considering that it isn't a situation like rhinos, for example, where, you know, where you're really talking about an endangered species. So I think there's this different issues involved um, here than with, with real wildlife trade. And I think in some cases... Africa could potentially make money out of this, which is something I, you know, again, I love donkeys, so I don't want to see them, you know, kind of turn into a cash crop. But, uh, you know, but but I think, you know, some African, pragmatic African governments might well go for that. Okay, very quickly before we go, uh, Lily mentioned uh, during one of her answers about the donkey sanctuary. And I want to kind of really promote this this report that they did. It's called Under the Skin. It's at thedonkeysanctuary.org.uk. Once again, that's thedonkeysanctuary.org.uk. You know, this sounds like a, an esoteric issue. It sounds like a little bit abstract. But this is one of those issues that gets to the core of people's survival. 
Uh, and you can see the politics in all of the different countries affected from Egypt to Niger to Tanzania to Kenya to South Africa are different. But yet they have a common theme in terms of how China is engaging and yet another product going between Africa and China that is potentially devastating. So, uh, it, you know, really encourage everybody to check out that report at the Donkey Sanctuary. And of course, Lily Guo is reporting on that. We'll be back again next week with another edition of the China in Africa podcast. For Cobus Van Staden, I'm Eric Olander. Thank you so much for listening. The discussion continues online. Head over to Facebook.com slash China Africa Project to share your thoughts on today's show or follow China Africa News that's updated every four hours, 24 hours a day, seven days a week. The guys are also on Twitter, where you can find Kobus at Stadenesk or Eric at E-O-Lander. That's E-O-L-A-N-D-E-R. Subscribe to the China Africa podcast on iTunes or download the mobile apps for iOS, Android, or Windows Phone. Just head over to your favorite store and search for China Africa.